Since times before history, we've been gathering around our fires to tell stories. Join us as we play through multiple role-playing game systems, looking for one that's the perfect fit for our next campaign, and hopefully showing you some options that are out there for your own games. Welcome to the Fireside Stories. Barbarians, and welcome to the first Fireside Story proper of 2019. Oh yeah, we're back, baby. So we are going to be playing in a system called Blackwind RPG. You can find it on drivethroughrpg.com. Usually the PDF price is pretty low, um, or you can click on the link in the description and that will take you straight there. It'll take you right to it. The cool thing about this system is that it's setting agnostic, so you can really run any type of story that you want in it. And there's a whole kind of session zero sort of setup where you work with your players um, and kind of put together the story that you want to play. And that's the main way to play the game. Um, What we're gonna be doing though is running one of the modules that's available, which is another option for it. And that kind of gives you some story elements and some storyline to work with uh, so that you can you know, run through the game, especially if it's your first time to kind of see how it works. So we would definitely like to thank the creators of Blackwind RPG because they gave us access to the module and the core rules so that we could play through it and let you guys know what we think and um, so that you guys could hear sort of how it plays at our table. That's going to be part review, part play test, and all fun. Hopefully all awesome too. Yeah, and the nice thing is that, I mean, they let us have the PDFs. Um, they didn't say that we had to say anything in particular other than letting you guys know what we're playing. Um, and they really just want to get the word out. This was a kickstarted RPG. It's an indie game. Um, and, you know, if you guys could take a look at it because you like the way we play it, that's cool. Um, but really, we're just here to kind of show you one of the ways it might play. Yeah, I've only seen a little bit of the source material because I have to be sort of uh, sequestered, you know, away from that. So I, um, you know, as the player, I can't be privy to a lot of that information. So I, I catch little glimpses of that source material over Ringo's shoulder as she's building stuff and learning about things and so on. And I have to say, for for a labor of love, it is it seems pretty polished. Like the art look that I've seen here and there in bits and snatches looked really cool. Yeah, it does have really nice art. Uh, the layouts are really easy to follow. Um, it definitely doesn't look like what some people might think of as an indie game. Um, they took their time working on this one and it really shows through that they were kind of thinking through different things that tend to be issues in games. Um, because of that, it has a pretty unique um, sort of point system between the players. Um, and that's something we want to show off a little bit. Normally, as you guys know, who have listened, we play me running the game for Santiago, my husband. Um, but for this one, since there is a cool point system that works between characters, we are going to, for the first kind of half of the fireside story, we'll play the way we normally play, just the two of us. And then for the second half, we'll look at adding um, some characters, some players in for you so that you guys can take a look at how that 
sort of point system works where it changes over time and participation the roles of the players within the group. Which should be very interesting. What I've heard about this system so far is it it's not like any system I've ever played before from all the d100 based systems to the d10 the d20 um even to like fate type of is that even really a d6 based system or i mean it's more like yeah, a sort d3 of yeah kind of I, anyway all the different stuff you know there there's one that we played where you use a jenga tower like you know and well i guess to be fair we haven't played it yet but whatever that i've heard of this one is completely new and interesting to me. It's very shiny. If I was Gand, I would definitely be cocking like an eye at it in a very interested fashion. Yeah, for me, just I've seen quite a few systems. It does seem to have kind of star elements that will ring familiar if you've played through a lot of different games before. Um, but you can tell as they wrote it, it really seems, like I said, to focus in on how can we resolve sort of these sticking points that happen with groups? How can we encourage participation? How can we encourage, you know, bringing stuff for the game and really getting into it and things like that? And it has a really neat system for that, which is why I think for the second half, we'll invite a few friends to sit in and show you a little bit about how that works. Really looking forward to it. So we are going to be playing in a couple parts of the first module, which is um, takes place in space. It's a space opera. And we are going to be starting out with you, your character, um, on a planet that's sort of known for its gladiator events, its arenas. And you are a prisoner or a slave for some reason that has been picked up by one of the training houses on this planet. Okay. Okay. So um, very much influenced, and it's nice they give you a little, you know, kind of influence guide for this one. But think something between Dune, Flash Gordon, and Imperial Rome. Hmm. Nice. Okay. There's also like What's-His-Face of Mars and um john carter yeah, was, yeah all i could think of was john thomas of mars <laughs> like a, a slang term for you know manly bits and so didn't really work uh, anyway yes yeah, john carter of mars uh planet hulk yeah it was evocative of those two for me so right so the module series that this is part of is called space blood and We'll, we'll play through a good bit of it as part of our fireside story, so you guys should get a feel for what this module feels like and the system underneath it. All right, so we are going to start you out with a casting list. So in the base game, normally the players and the director will all sit down together and kind of throw out ideas for what kind of characters or traits for characters are going to be on this casting list. And then you guys would choose. Um, for the module, they give you some ideas already. So what I'm going to do is kind of read through it for everyone who can't read it because they're not on our super cool patrons only discord. 
Um, and then I'll give you a chance to kind of decide which one sounds good to you. Okay. Is now is there a um so these are these are the archetypes kind of is that where we're at right now? Yes. Okay. And so these are the different like pre-rolls for lack of a better term. Sure. Yeah, I guess it would be kind of the equivalent of playing a pre-generated or pre-rolled character. Okay. Except, and this is something we'll get into pretty quickly here, there's no real character creation as far as establishing stats and things like that. We'll just jump right into it once you have a feel for who this character might be. Okay, cool. So you're going to read off a list of things to choose from. I mean, is this one of those lists where it's like, you know, here's a list, pick one, or is it like, you need to come up with something, here's a list of handy examples that might help you. You could pick one of these, or you can make one up. Like, which, which uh, style of list is this, would you say? Uh, it can go either way. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So you have room to use this as inspiration to make something that sounds interesting. Um, otherwise, you can pull something right off the list. Um, you can gender swap something if you want to, um, and then we'll jump right into it. Because like I said, none of these have stats established. They're all just sort of really simple one-liners that establish a little bit about that character. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. Uh, you know, I'm liking the feeling of freedom that I'm having so far from this system. So that's pretty cool. And if you want to follow along, I did put it up in Discord as well. Oh, okay. That would necessitate me opening Discord. So let's take a look at that. So... Again, as it says in what I've given to you, players can expand and tweak the list. Um, but for any character that shows up, whether it's from this list or otherwise, there are kind of five pieces of information that need to be established. The name of the planet that you're from, because it's considered that the prisoners or slaves that are here are all from different places. Um, something about their look or ethnicity equivalent. So understanding like what they look like a little bit. Their name or nickname or both if you wanna go that route. The role, which we'll get to a little bit later. And two characterizing skills, two things that come to mind for you for that character that they would be good at or one that they're good at and one that's something that's horrible for them or something like that kind of establishing a little bit about what they can do okay yeah that all makes sense all right so here are the examples so these are all part of the crowd of captured slaves or prisoners um, it's a group of what will be used as gladiators coming from different planetary systems captured during the wars of the Emperor Turg the Stranger and brought um, to this place to be part of what's called the School of the Falcon on Siri Prime, which is where these gladiatorial events take place. So the planet that we're, we're on for this module is Siri Prime. Correct. Okay. Hey, Siri. Hey, make Siri. a planet full of gladiators. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> poor listeners. That's awesome. <laughs> Sorry, that was hilarious. <laughs> All right, I'm back. All right. So the first one there, and I'll leave the name they give up to interpretation for you. 
Um, but this one they do specify is powerfully built. Um, in this example, it's a female warrior. Um, but again, feel free to swap anything, use them as inspiration, etc. Um, from a savage tribe, a fearsome gladiator. Um, kind of the idea of the Black Amazon is the inspiration for this character. So she would be able to use like a spear and a staff. Um, so, you know, pretty straightforward sort of vicious melee, simple weapon fighter. Okay. Okay. The next one is the Moor of Calusis, a tall, muscular, ebony-skinned man, bald with a hideous scar marring the left side of his face. Uh, the next one is the Butcher of Kaloth, a former general responsible for the massacre of Kaloth, punished by being sold into slavery, olive-skinned, brown-eyed, dark-haired, nearly bald with a beard, a braided beard, um, and he has a little bit of a story arc built in if you pick that character. So that's something that characters can have to make them a little bit more complex. And he has... Um, a medium short character arc where he has to go from being kind of a selfish, you know, powerful general type character to someone who learns to be a little bit more selfless and cooperative. You'll also note it says plus ghost there. Mm. A ghost is something in the background that haunts him. And in this case, it's the fact that a decision he made led to the massacre of a planet, basically. So that's something from his past that is, is an issue for him. Right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, the next one is the outcast of Andromedus, exiled by her own people because of her cruelty. Tall, uh, mane-like blonde hair streaked with black. Um, and again, she has an arc as well from outcast to companion. And she has a wound of some kind. And this can be literal or figurative. And we can talk about that a little bit if you end up selecting her. Okay. The next one is the man from Proxima. Thin but spry, wiry, energetic, um, short brown hair, unkempt beard. Um, you know, just the idea of like not the muscle bound dude, but still a functional gladiator. And then the last one they have is Lana the Glaber, skilled and sturdy pit fighter of Aldair with moon colored complexion and short blonde hair. Um, and she's also from selfish to selfless with a ghost background that would need to be determined. Okay. Okay. Super cool. So like I said, they're like one sentence kind of describe a little bit about what you see when you encounter the character for the first time, a couple of things that you might notice about them. And that's all you really need to start with. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. We're going to take a minute to talk about your dice, your career within the game basically mm -hmm. since you are the main protagonist since you're the only character right now we're going to start start you off as the main character you're welcome <laughs> <laughs> thank um, you the cool thing about this system like i said there's sort of a points based thing which is going to change a little bit of how you interact with the game so this game is a roll under game so like you've been used to with our call of cthulhu plays um but in this case, what you're rolling under is a set difficulty determined by me as your director based on the difficulty of the thing. So, for example, something that's challenging might be you need to get six or, or less challenging. We need to get six or under where something is more challenging. You need to get like four and under or three and under. So, you know, obviously it's harder to roll when you have to roll really low. 
So um, the way that that plays out in the game is that the career that you choose decides the dice that you use to try to roll under those numbers. So every role within the game, um, based on kind of the points that you have as a player for how you've been interacting with the game, determine the dice that you get, basically. Since you're main protagonist, we're going to ignore that element a little bit, but you still get to choose between the spades career, which is kind of the specialist, who's really good at the stuff related to whatever they were trained to do, and okay at other stuff. Or you can go with the hearts career, and the hearts person is kind of more of a generalist, they're decent at the stuff they're trained to do, but they're also decent at everything else. So they have a little bit more utility, but a little bit more of a chance of failing even the things they've been trained in. So let me talk a little bit about how that actually applies. So for example, if you choose the spades career, things that are within your wheelhouse, you'll roll a d6. So unless they're really difficult, you have a high chance of succeeding as long as it's something specific to your character's training. For everything else, you'll roll a d20. I see. Okay. Okay. So for everything else, chances are slim. Yes. Okay. The other thing about a spades person is you get to choose a special thing. So for example, it should be something related to a very specific characteristic that's your strongest point. So for example, um, let's say we establish that your character is strong just to use that, okay? Anything that falls within that category um, gets an even smaller die, it gets a D4. Okay. Okay. Now for the hearts version of this, the more generalist path, for things that are within your training, you get a D8, so instead of a D6. All right. And for everything else, you get a D10 instead of a D20. Hmm. So again, not much difference between trained and untrained. It's an 8 and a 10, um, whereas your spades career is going to give you a very strong chance versus a weaker chance. Okay. Okay? So... What we're going to need to consider now is kind of your character archetype, your, your casting for this, mm -hmm. and then which of those protagonist options that you'd like to go with for your dice. Okay. Okay? Mm -hmm. So we'll go ahead and pause here, give you some time to think it over, talk through some of the wiggly bits, and then we'll come back and introduce your character in the first scene. We'll just jump right into it. All right. Sounds good. Cool. All right. So we've had a chance to establish the sort of character you'd like to play. And in true Santiago fashion, you've gone off book. No, I mean, you made a character, which is great. Yeah, as soon as the, you know, option was, as soon as it was established that the option existed, that you could make up your own, obviously I'm going to make up my own, so. Right. So... Before we get into the actual scene, give people the short and dirty. What are they going to see the first time the character appears? What does he look like? Where is he from? What does he do? Why is he here? All right. 
So the short and dirty is my character is named Solto Ninsamos. He is from one of the many, many moons of the gas giant Sela in the Chesserai system. His moon is named Kellis. He is a tall, lithely muscled, um, covered in very um, fine fur with large golden feline eyes. And he's basically uh, equal parts Spider-Man uh, Navi from Avatar and Khajiit from Skyrim. And uh, when I say lively muscled, I mean, you know, a lot like the Navi, you know, in terms of that. Um, and he is um, dressed like the rest of the gladiators, so we haven't really established that yet, but how everyone else is dressed, he's dressed the same way. And one thing that's particularly, like if you're particularly observant, you would notice that his hands have, are, are, are your basically, you know, human type of, you know, hand plan, except there is another fully functional thumb on the other side of his palm. So he has two thumbs that oppose one another in addition to four fingers. And I think that covers the first impression and also his, you know, where he's from. I didn't really get into uh, why he's here in career yet and stuff like that. Right. If, if you want to, I can do that, but. No, we're good. Yeah. You're like everyone else here. You're a prisoner and a slave. Mm-hmm. And everyone is here because in some way, They've fallen prey to these imperial wars that are going on. Arriving in this place, which we've determined was Siri Prime, mm -hmm. which we'll try not to say too often for activating people's devices. <laughs> right. But the day so far has been a long and unforgiving one. The air on this planet is thick and... Here, it seems even thicker. There is the ting of sweat, warm metal, hot sand, windless and still. But you do hear the droning of the lasers that are at the top of the triangular walls. You were lined up in the arena with the other prisoners under the blazing sun of this planet, awaiting judgment of the slave master, Marcles, and his assistant, Vitor. There is no shade, no respite, aside from the cool touch of the iridescent collar around your neck, a humming ring with no discernible lock, and a bitter reminder of your current predicament. All right, any questions before we get started? Uh, no. I'm, I mean, I'm lined up with my fellow uh, gladiator slaves. Yes. In the actual arena where these fights happen, there's a trainer and his assistant, and it's like this brutal sun just beating down on us. Yes. Okay. You probably would know a bit about these collars okay. from your experience. Right. So they are... There are different ways to control them. Like, you know that... 
imperial forces can use these collars to prevent prisoners from leaving a certain area, for example. Um, and the schools of the arenas kind of use them in the same way. So you know if you go outside of the perimeter established for the collar, or if someone with authorization activates it, it, you know, just kind of blows up your head. Ooh, okay. So, uh, Running Man movie style. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Okay, cool. Except more high tech, like less chunky metal and more just like one smooth ring of almost like crystalline substance that sort of glows like a glow stick a little bit. Yeah, kind of a little sort of like multicolored, like there's definitely like a, yeah, like you said, that kind of crystalline sort of nature to it. Opalescence? Yes. Okay. Okay. So what we're going to establish here, this is our character introduction. So you're going to have a chance to introduce something from your character's background because you've taken a couple minutes to establish that. This is our shortest character creation ever. By the way, (laughs) for the record. (laughs) So again, if we're playing with a group, these things are all worth points. And so we'll get into that in the second half of the story. But for now, what I want to do, I'm going to kind of intro. Mm -hmm. And then you are going to have, you're going to have something that you see in that environment that triggers a memory. You're going to share that memory from your player's perspective and then snap back to the present. Sure. Okay. Mm -hmm. Again, you can see kind of the sweat laden bodies of the other slaves around you. And even the trainer and his assistant are not saved from this like kind of horrid landscape that you're in, but they are driven to be here to determine who will stand out as a proper fighter as a gladiator and who is either going to need to be culled or worked on basically that's what today is for you've been brought to this place you've been purchased functionally by the school and now they're trying to see what they bought ah okay okay so they they don't really know a whole lot about us i guess it's kind of like you buy one of those pallets from amazon and you just sort of unpack it and see what's in here yeah okay yeah super cool all right and in the distance you can hear other similar arena areas active likely other schools um doing very similar things and you don't know much about the schools of this planet and which one you ended up with and what that means at this point you just know you're here now and they're looking you guys over. And you can see there are weapons lined up against one of the triangular walls and the assistant is kind of checking to those, keeping an eye on you guys while the trainer is really just giving each of you the hard eye as he walks up and down the line. Okay. And and that's where uh my flashback happens? Yes. Okay. So as we're lined up, um, Solto's no stranger to this sort of environment. It reminds him a lot of um, times that he's been incarcerated, either by his 
what he feels is his own free will. So, um, like basic training, um, and other times when, you know, it was more against his will, like, you know, uh, shore leave type of situation. And he knows that you should, you know, how you should behave in these situations. He also knows that in any prison, you know, no matter how hard the captors try to control contraband, people always find a way to smuggle things in, to hide things, to keep things and stuff like that. So, um, and his mind kind of wanders cause he is a little bit confused right now. Um, having, you know, found himself in these circumstances is, is somewhat novel, even for someone of his, uh, expansive, uh, travels and exploits. So when he, he kind of, you know, uncharacteristically breaks the straight ahead stare and looks at his fellow, um, you know, uh, captives and he notices one in particular right somewhat uh of an older man uh with sort of a a sad pall to his uh features and it kind of trips off a flashback within a flashback because he remembers him the the night before when they were all you know locked in one room be it transport or cell or what have you um he spied the the old guy stealthily taking a picture out of his you know loincloth or rags or whatever we're in and stuff like that and um and and looking at it surreptitiously and solto crept over um quite stealthily um which is just second nature for him really and uh looked at this picture and it was a small child with a very clear family resemblance to the old guy holding basically a raggedy and doll you know a little cupie kind of you know handmade you know kids doll type of deal and um he saw that and that remembering seeing that picture while he's standing under this hot sun here reminds him of another time he saw a very similar doll because it seems like no matter how vast the galaxy gets no matter how different the cultures may be small children tend to play with small representations of adult and children you know members of their species it's just this common behavior that is common to everyone and so he remembers one time where as part of his uh you know infiltrating with his uh small insurgency unit a uh a a house in a village you know that's like they had good intel that there were you know these enemy soldiers holed up in this uh, this building in this village that were plotting an assassination attempt the next day. And if they weren't stopped, it was going to have this domino effect on the region. And so their mission was to stop that assassination by any means necessary. And the most straightforward way to do that is to assassinate the assassins. So he goes in to this building on you know, as part of the uh, predetermined plan with his unit, his other members, you know, take out 
other guards and other kinds of stuff. He slips in through a window. He takes out a couple of other people, uh, you know, enemy combatants that he, he comes across through the hallway. And he comes around a corner into a room for his final target. And what the intel didn't cover is that there might be family here. So uh, standing in front of the final assassin is a small child um, of this enemy species who it immediately becomes clear is standing in front of uh, her father holding up a tiny um, doll, you know, in front of her. And she raises it up to Solto as sort of a like, almost like a talisman, almost like an offering um, to protect her father, who is, you know, understandably very agitated because he has his offspring in the room with him and he might have to fight for his life. And that's a very complicated, tense situation. So... Solto remembers um, that night and that doll very clearly and, and the concept of how we have that commonality as living, feeling beings, no matter what our differences are. And he remembers how he reacted to that and the splash of blood across the girl's face as she stood there wide-eyed and shocked and then how he just ghosted out of the room after that. But the thought of that concept never really left him. And um, I would say that as he's sort of wool gathering, thinking about this, he snapped back to the present when the assistant has been going down the line of uh, slaves, kind of yelling in everyone's face, kind of interrogating them. And he gets to Solto, and he's just a million miles away. Like, his eyes are completely unfocused. And he realizes when some of the assistant's spittle hits his face that he's being yelled at and interrogated. And so he has to respond so that, you know, they don't think that he's slow upstairs or something like that. So you're kind of towards the end of the line of slaves that they've brought in. And so the assistant, and he's close to you, um, mostly you think it's a matter of not being sure if everyone understands the language more than true aggression. Okay, sure. Um, but he's asking you to identify yourself, So, and he's checking a list. It looks like they're checking inventory more than anything oh, to make right. sure they got what they paid for. Okay, they're being very practical so far. And so he is like very close to you and like a little bit of spittle hits your face as you snap back. And he says, identify. And so he'll just uh, say his name, I guess, because at this point that, you know, no one's assigned him like a, a number or anything like that. Right. Okay. So um, he'll say... Uh, like, God, I haven't come up with an accent or a voice or anything for this guy yet. So this might change over the course of the game <laughs> as, I, as I figure this out. But for now, we're going to go with uh, Solto Nensamos. And he kind of looks down at his list that he has on his little screen. And he nods and they keep moving down the line. And it wraps up pretty quickly. And you see 
the assistant move over towards the weapon rack and he is kind of gathering what look like plain wooden staves. Okay. And the grizzled looking veteran trainer kind of squares himself and steps forward, giving everyone an appraising critical eye. And he starts to talk to you, not walking up and down the line, standing square facing the line and addressing you all. Gladiators, Lensel salutes you. This is the oldest school on Siri, the most famous and the best. The Falcon's crest has struck fear in the hearts of its opponents for many centuries and will do so for many centuries more. Glory to the Falcon. All right, that sounds like something that uh, requires, like, like that's like a call and response or something. Like, people in the know, when he says glory to the Falcon, you would probably yell back glory to the Falcon. Yeah, and you can see that the assistant kind of, like, mouths it over where he's gathering, but he's not going to interrupt the speech. Okay. <laughs> Good to know. I'm glad I could pick up on that social cue then, because... You know, he was about to just reflexively respond with glory to the Falcon. <laughs> <laughs> Lensel bought your death for a steep price. And he demands you fight for the best and to the best of your ability. I will train you for one month. You will learn all you need to learn or you will die trying. I'm going to learn all I need to learn or die trying. <laughs> <laughs> And remember, if you will not die during your training, you will die in the final test against the champions of the school. Only the best will receive the brand of the Falcon. Hmm. And if you survive the test, you will die in the arena for the amusement of the crowd. If and only if you survive five fights and only the very best do, you will be able to remove the collar and choose whether you take up a contract or be on your way. Mm hmm. Okay. The Salto decides right then and there he's going to be on his way. <laughs> one goal. Like, <laughs> I have one job. Get out of this shit show. And he kind of makes a subtle gesture, and his assistant brings over um, the wooden staves. And he says, now, our first task is to separate those of you with some ability from those of you who will likely not survive the first week. And he takes the stabs from his assistant, Vitor, except for one, which he leaves in Vitor's hands, and begins to pass them out to the line. Okay. Hmm. He says, these are wooden staves. There's not much you can damage with them, and you will not die this day, no matter how sad your skills are. Although you'll certainly earn some bruises and maybe a few broken things along the way. But today, your test is to defeat my assistant with your staff. I see. Okay. <laughs> We're looking for... A fair strike to the shoulder or chest. All right. Hmm. And he steps back, 
very practiced across the sand of this desert arena. And you see a lot of the prisoners kind of look at each other, like unsure. But you see this kind of stocky, short-haired, blonde creature um, grab her stave more tightly. And you assume that she's female based on what you can see of her anatomy. Um, And she just strides forward and takes an offensive position. What would you like to do? Um, so she has to beat the assistant, right? Yep. Like, okay. Everyone's test is to try to land a strike on the assistant. And that that's still all the instruction that we've gotten. Yes. Like, there's no, like, one at a time, like, none, none of that. Nope. Okay. Um, well, if, if it's... If it's just to land a blow to, like, the chest or shoulder of the assistant, then, um, like, that's all we have to do. That seems pretty simple. Like, if I just have to touch him with this stick. Right. So, And you see a couple of the others kind of moving in behind the woman who took the lead. Um, and they seem very unsure. They're, like, swinging wildly. They have no idea how to use this thing. Okay. And then certain others look more like, oh, okay, it's a big stick. I know how to use this. Um, but there is definitely kind of a, a difference between some of the slaves that are here and how they handle this device that you've been given. Okay. It, it seems like from Solto's, um, you know, point of view, given the mission that he's been given, which is to touch the assistant on the shoulder or chest with the stick that it's basically child's play. So um, he's going to take it in mind to dash forward with all possible speed and throw a feint at one shoulder, come back around with the other end of the staff for a sweep to the feet, which is also a feint and then a straight thrust to the chest. Okay. So you, with your modified legs, are able to move past the woman who took the lead with her more stocky sort of composure, um, if you want to. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And so as you move past her, she growls at you. Okay. And... uh, And yeah, so you make it up to Vitor, who kind of brings his staff up in a generic sort of practiced defensive sort of posture. So um, go ahead and roll your die. So in this case, this is a melee attack, which for your character would be on roll, but it also happens to be your special skill. Yes. So you get to roll a d4. All right. Here we go. One d4 coming right up. Four. Of course. I roll well, as high as possible. <laughs> that's fine because you needed a, to roll a five or less. <laughs> awesome. So in this case, this is just a basic test. They're trying to see if you can, you know, aim and get a stick onto a person. <laughs> and so you rush past 
the woman who growls at you on your way. You run up to Vitor, you do your dual feints, and then it just kind of, it's like a jab sort of that you're doing, right, to the yeah, chest? Yeah, I'm not trying to hurt the guy at all. The yeah. instructions were to touch him, you know, so I'm just following orders. Yep. And you do, and he acknowledges the touch. He gives you kind of a nod and gestures you back to the line. Cool. And the woman runs up. It takes her a couple of seconds. She's She's got little legs. <laughs> her short little legs. Yes. Awesome. And she is going to roll her die. Yep. Okay. And hers isn't as fluid as yours is. She basically runs up and ah, and just slams the staff forward. <laughs> and <Awesome. laughs> Just your brute strength. <laughs> and basically knocks his defensive staff aside and he nods and she like, <sighs> like runs back to the line. Right. And then a few others he just knocks down into the dirt and a couple more are able to get a hit or touch in and you're kind of all of you, even the ones that are knocked down eventually, are let up and sent back to the line. And there you see that once it's done, Vitor puts down the staves and picks up a couple of very nondescript like containers, buckets, really. And Markley's the trainer, um, rejoins him and they start moving down the line once again just like they did when they were asking you to identify yourselves mm -hmm. only this time with i mean it's pigment it's paint really he's marking each of you so he's walking down the line for those that got in a hit red and for those who were knocked down green just a a splotch of paint on the chest. Yep, he's just like, it's not very like clean or neat. It's just kind of a stripe diagonally as he's walking down the line. Mm -hmm. I gotta say, I'm on board with this efficiency so far. <laughs> and the, just the practicality with which they're dealing with stuff. There, there's very little uh, left, you know, to interpretation. So I feel comfortable at least. You know, and they tell you, like, here's what's going on. Here's what we're doing. So you don't have to worry about it. So that's nice. And once you're marked, um, you see that there are a couple other assistants who come out and they begin to separate you into training groups based on your color. So you are with the other, well, a few of the other reds. And particularly, they actually match you up for your, most of your training, it seems, with this woman who kind of looks up at you, grunts, like, motions to herself, and she says, Alana. I'll uh, nod in motion back to myself. Solto. We're paired up, but I'm here to win, so I can't say I'm going to help you at all. Yes, well, may fortune favor you, Alana. Oh, it does. All right. And it seems that they usher you immediately into the next training area because like any good movie where training happens, what are we going to do? 
We're going to have a montage. That's right. We're going to have some training spots in a montage sequence. <laughs> Even Rocky had a montage. <laughs> All right. So let me get that set up for you. So as part of your training, you are set up in what I can only call is similar to like X-Men danger rooms mixed with Roman gladiatorial functions. So in one area, you can hear and see people going through drills with various weapons. Mm -hmm. So far, most of what you've seen have all been melee. Cool. Um, And then you and Alana are ushered into what you have heard referred to as the laser training room. Ooh, lasers. And you get to see a duo going ahead of you in this area, but it looks like um, the gladiators in training are forced to basically run laps. They're running in loops around this section of the arena. And there are laser beams set up at certain intervals that can either shoot across at neck height or shin height. And there's a short sound that signals an incoming beam before it happens. I see. Okay. So what we're going to do is you guys are going to be doing your running. There is going to be a sound. Yeah. Um, and you will roll a die. Now, for this type of dodging maneuver, mm-hmm. um, I want you to talk to me a little bit about do you think this is on roll for you or off roll? Definitely on roll for this, uh, for, for Solto. Okay. No question. <laughs> I mean, uh, that, that's part of uh, the, the whole thing is uh, telegraphing signals and responding to them appropriately, be it uh, dodge or counter or redirect or what have you, and, and making that decision in a fraction of a second. So. Okay. I think that's fair. Um, Alana is not as dexterous as you, but you get the feeling this isn't her first time in this sort of situation, um, especially after spending a little bit of time with her as you have over the course of this beginning of the montage. Um, she doesn't wear much because she likes freedom of movement. Um, she kind of straps everything down and into place so that it doesn't impede her. Um, <laughs> well, like her boobs? Yeah. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Sports bra. Yeah, All right. exactly. Cool. Kick ass. And, um, and the way that she does that gives you clear view of all of the scars from the whip that she has um, across her back. Mm. Okay. And she has other scars as well that look more like battle scars. Um, but you have a feeling this isn't her first gladiatorial school that she's been in. Wow. Okay. Kind of, uh, no stranger to that gladiator life sounds like. All right. So she, uh, looks up at you and she says, I only have to worry about the low ones. (laughs) And she starts to run. (laughs) All right. Um, given, given that Solto is, uh, sort of, I don't know, not necessarily content, but sort of at ease in these circumstances, none of these tests or training or anything is anything that's stressing him out. 
uh, as far as, you know, physically and so forth. And also, uh, he, he knows, like, okay, if I have to fight my way out of here, this is a done deal. So, so I don't know if there's a little uh, hubris in his attitude, but either way, he, he's just kind of at ease. So he'll sort of chuckle to himself <laughs> and take off after her. All right. So you guys begin your jog, and you hear the telltale sign of the laser. Um, and it looks like this one's high. So I need you to go ahead and make your roll. All right. One. Uh, remember, it's your regular roll die, not your melee combat one. Oh, right. So it's a That's D6. roll die. I rolled the wrong die. Hopefully I don't die. Six. All right. So there's learn me. a sharp pain <laughs> as it kind of burns across your chest, your upper chest, because mm-hmm. um, it goes off like almost barely right in front of you. Um, so it's superficial, but Alana, who didn't even have to duck, she just kind of looks up at you and chuckles as she keeps running. She's like, now you know what to expect for the next one. Sounds like you've been here before. Uh, this one's a little bit nicer than the last one I was at. I see. All right. So, uh, let's see. You keep running and you will have another one. So, next one sounds like it's coming in low. Go ahead and make your roll. One. All right. You easily just, not even changing your stride, like you just run over it, basically. Alana has to make a very exaggerated, like, two-foot, like, (laughs) full-on jump to get over it. And then, like, recovers and, like, runs a little bit to catch up with you. Nice. I mean, if she's running, if if we're running alongside one another, I really got to be, like, reining it in. Because, you know, running and being, you know, fast is one of Especially with your kind of like you said, hubris that you likely have right now, you're keeping an easy pace. Hmm. She is working to make sure that you don't get ahead of her because it's very important to her that she's not behind. Okay. So your next one. All right, you hear another sound. It's hard for you to tell exactly where it's coming from. This one's a little bit muddled, but go ahead and make your roll. Three. All right. So this time the chest height laser... Um, you notice it in time to duck and kind of just do like a boxer's weave as you're running. Um, and once again, Alana looks up at you and kind of chuckles and, uh, she says, you smell a lot better when you're not burned. (laughs) I mean, you know, he doesn't really have a whole lot in the way of conversation, uh, as, as far as her quips are concerned, unless they're relevant to you know, to the mission right. right now. So, but I think that he will acknowledge her quips with, uh, you know, with chuckles because she is, she's kind of funny. So. Right. All right. So you guys do a couple more laps. It's more of the same. Um, and then without really much, there's no rest in between or anything. They usher you into the next area and bring the next pair in to do laser training. Um, and 
it's Vitor who takes you to the next area and he says, this one's your robot training. It's pretty straightforward. Ah, robots. And once again, they're moving pairs kind of through these areas for training. And you can see um, the finishing pair ahead of you as you walk into this section. Okay. Do they look beat up or worse for wear, injured at all? Yeah, they're they're sweating pretty good. Um, what you can see is that there are two opposing fighters armed with metal staves, and they're facing each other. There is a robot between them covered in buttons and panels that, when hit correctly, so a nice center hit on one of them, it causes a metallic arm to pop up on the opponent's side and bop <laughs> the enemy gladiator. Um, huh. And when okay. you see that bop happen, um, it, there is the telltale sound of someone being electrocuted lightly. <laughs> Ooh, cool. Okay. Um, it doesn't look like it's designed to be deadly, um, but it definitely doesn't look pleasant. And Vitor kind of hands you guys your metal staves and says, uh, three hits is a loss. Okay. And when you say metal staves, it, it's like, again, a staff. It's right. not two, like, batons or well, anything. Well, there are multiple because he's handing one to you and one to her. But yeah, it's it's a staff, basically. Got it. Okay. Your gambit. Great. Gambit. Why did it have to be Gambit? All right. I'd almost rather be Jubilee. Gambit. Don't get me started. All right. So you and Alana take your spots up at the kind of, there's an area that's marked on either side of the spinning robotic device in the middle. And um, as is her way, Alana just goes for it. She makes a big whack with her staff. Okay. Ooh. And she just like whacks the side of it and doesn't hit any of the buttons because she's just going for like, she just goes full force. She is the haymaker of everything. Sure. All right. And so she growls in disappointment and she's getting ready to make another swing. What would you like to do? I think I'll try to hit a button. Jim. All right. <laughs> and obviously this would be a melee fighting. So you get your little die. Here we go. Two. All right. All right. You see the robotic Biff arm pop up behind Alana. And she doesn't notice it in time because she's getting ready to make her next big swing. And it bazaps her right in the back. <laughs> she's, ah, I always hated these things. And she's going to go for her next swing. All right. This time she does connect by luck with one of the buttons with her next giant swing. Um, so I need you to roll to try to dodge the biff. All right. Dodging the Biff with my D4. Two again. Okay. 
So you dodge out of the way, which means that you are immediately able to make a swing to try to counter this and get her biffed. All right, here we go. Ooh, four. Yep, okay. Right? So Lana gets biffed again. Ah, why did they give me a fast one? <laughs> All right, and it's your turn. All right. Let's go for the third biff. Wow. Just rolling twos all over the place. Okay. Uh, so she doesn't dodge the biff. What she does is bring her metal staff around and just like knock the arm out of the way. And then she spins around towards the row in the middle and just clocks it really good right on one of its panels. So I need you to try to dodge. All right. One. Dodge. And my... No, your dodge is not your melee combat one. Oh. Right? I or, mean... Are you calling it that? It'd be under that oh, umbrella? No, no, no. I, I mean, well, here's the thing. She got to parry it, so do I have to dodge it, or can I parry it? Oh, you can it try too? to parry it instead. So, yeah, go ahead. So, you, what did you roll? One. Okay. So, yeah. And then you can go ahead and make your swing. All right. Counter swing. Two. All right. All right. She laughs and bonks the arm another time. <laughs> now it's getting fun. All right. She hits another panel with her swing. All right. I'd like to respond to her quip with uh, a grin and a nod. And uh, you're lucky they didn't give me batons. Three. Okay. All right. It's a lot easier to parry this thing right. than it is to try to dodge it. And she's sure. like, Baton's like, ow! <laughs> she, <laughs> she gets like zapped in the side. <laughs> uh, and everything kind of like, you know, powers down because that's her third hit. She says, well, I won't be in the final test for this one then, but I'll see you on the other side. All right. And Vitor... Walks in and he's like, you're going to uh, be in our weapon of choice round for this one. So take a moment. There's a couple of groups still. Uh, let me know what you would want and I will make it available for you. Okay. Hmm. Weapon of choice. Now this is a fight to the death type of situation or... No, it looks like basically they're kind of round robining this robot fight. And the top ones will actually be granted as slaves access to their own weapon as a reward, basically. Okay. So you'll have it available for future endeavors. Ah, I see. So not, not don't pick a weapon to fight your your fellow gladiators with right now just earn a weapon that you can keep until later right that you will probably fight some people with okay sounds good all right so what weapon would you like hmm. man that is a tough question i think that in you're true to his um, Calusian heritage. 
his favorite weapon and one that he's been familiar with even before he went, you know, um, you know, into more specialized forms of combat would, um, be a hybrid of like the, uh, Viking hand axe and native American tomahawk. So it, it, it's basically a, uh, a tomahawk with a little bit of a, you know, heftier blade with um, either a hammer or a spike on on the other end. Probably um, a spike balancing the, the bearded blade on the other end. And a um, strong, you know, slightly recurved um, handle of some, you know very sturdy material like um you know sci-fi carbon fiber graphene you know flex steel sort of something or other sure plasteel (laughs) (laughs) sort of deal um that he would choose and he would even be able to sketch out a quick blade shape like you know needs to have a good bit of beard to it and then where it detaches to the handle it needs to have this kind of shape and then the back end has to have a nice sharp um like triangular bladed uh spike to it so not a spike like a nail but almost like an arrowhead type of uh type of shape to it for piercing through armor and skull plating and stuff like that all right so as you're describing it vitor sort of nods and he says, huh, exotic, but I think I have one of those. So let's uh, get the rest of these through this bit of training, and I should be able to get that for you. Splendid. Right. So Solto will kind of think for a moment how, um, you know, typically you, you would fight with... Uh, Calusian um hand axe while you know in your offhand wielding you know um a like a, a long like a big dagger a big knife you know right but um the guy was like pick a weapon so he didn't necessarily think that a pair of weapons would be you know would fly right so he stuck to the rules but he's kind of thinking hmm you know, a nice big knife for the offhand would come in really handy, you know, because there's a, there's a whole lot of redirection of incoming blows, a lot of dodging and a lot of countering right. and stuff like that. There's not a whole lot of force on force in their fighting style. It's more dexterous. So um, he's just going to have to rely on his natural weapons as he flexes, like, you know, all six of the claws out of his left hand for now. But if the opportunity presents itself, I think he would take it to pick up a, a nice big dagger for the offhand. Sure. Pair with his axe. So, the weeks go on like this. And that evening in your cell, Vitor himself um, brings you the weapon that you earned. And it is exactly as you described. It looks like this was... Like, they've probably collected weapons from various cultures as part of the whole arena show. And um, he says it took a bit of searching, but here you go. Nice. 
Is there anything uh, remarkable about it that I could notice right away? I think the main thing you would notice is it doesn't look like this one has seen much use. Um, it was like it was bought so it could be in the selection of weapons, but your kind, especially being from a small moon like you are, aren't very common here, and so it hasn't been part of the selection. Okay, cool. There's certain rare ones, you know, um, Calusian hand axes that um, have a blade fashioned from the jawbone of a, uh, of a certain indigenous fish, and the nature of their bone, the molecular structure of their bone material is such that it just maintains like almost um like, like an edge that's sharp almost on a molecular scale you know kind of like a ceramic type of blade but without being brittle but if he looks at it and it's not that or like you know okay like like just kind of thinking about his home and heritage and all that sort of thing yeah it looks like this one's definitely a very fine one um it you think it would take a few like test slices for you to know for sure the nature of the blade on it um but it definitely is very finely made okay this will do i suppose not like he has much choice right <laughs> and they do let you keep this weapon in your cell because it's a mark of your success thus far so it's also a mark to the other gladiators okay they know how i did in training mm-hmm and I know how others did in training based on whether they're armed or not. And so the next few weeks go much the same, running laps, fighting in robo-duels um, against various opponents that you're set up with. And you see that Alana is still in training, although that she fell down a rank after you beat her in that robot fight in the first week. Um, and... So you don't see her very much because for the most part there's training and then you're all taken back to your cells. Hmm. Okay. So I'm starting to observe things, routines, guard rotations, um, that sort of thing. Just again, as second nature, just cataloging this information, not necessarily planning an escape or anything like that. It's just, observing and noting filing away this type of information is like breathing for Solto. So right. he just kind of does it without thinking about it. Right. So yeah, I think one of the main things that you notice is it's not very heavily guarded. You guys have your slave collars and you have cells that you're in overnight, but Vitor, under the direction of Markley's, the lead trainer, seem to do most of the work. And they make sure you're well fed. When you do have bumps and bruises and laser cuts and things like that from the training, you are given aid, like they bandage things, they medicate. You're never left festering. And because the idea is the ones who make it to the end will earn the brand of the school. Yeah, it's it's an investment, I yes. guess. Okay. So, after four weeks, there's a lot of chatter and buzz. You've heard that Lensel, the owner of the school, the name that was referenced on your first day here, 
is attending for the final tests. And walking in towards, they have you in one of the big arena areas. And he's sitting up, you know, in the seat of honor on a raised area above the arena floor. And you can see that he's a fat, pompous looking man. Um, He has sort of a foppish manner to him. And he is observing the gladiators below him from his raised stage. And the gladiators of the school all parade by the official gladiators. And you note that they all have this symbol tattooed on their right shoulder. Okay. Um, And as they are paraded past him, they um, salute the owner of the school um, and Markley's is kind of keeping an eye on them as they pass by to make sure everyone's on their best behavior. And then Vitor kind of pulls you as the students away and the gladiators are led back through another door on the other side of the arena. And he says, this is the final test. You will be paired off with others who have also made it through training. But unlike training, Lenzel prefers that these ones are to the death. Can look around. Um, so we're all grouped up. Yes. Right now. You know, surreptitiously, stealthily look mm-hmm. around at my counterparts to see if I can determine who, in light of this news, is worried and who seems to be like, oh, Okay. (laughs) So for those of you that are actually in this final group, because you note that you have been called for this final test from the larger group that was originally brought in, they may still be in training. Maybe they were sold to other schools. You you don't really have any insight at this point. Um, But it's a pretty small, even-numbered group of you. It looks because they're going to be pairing you up. Um, And you can see... There's a woman who is very, like, lithe and, like, assassin looking in the way that she, like, stands and tries to find shadow. Um, there is kind of a, a wiry older man. There is um, a larger man who looks a little unsteady with a melee weapon. It looks like he's used to maybe, a, like, a pulse rifle or something like that. Um, and then you see at the end of the line, Alana having Vitor like, buckle up all of her little armor and you see that she has earned a weapon in her time away from you and it's a big hammer Mm. the like shaft of the hammer is taller than she is and the mass of whatever it is at the end looks like it's just designed to break and smash there's no like design or etch to it it's just a slab of something heavy on the end of a stick. It's like a giant chrome toaster <laughs> on the end of a huge baseball bat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the others are all selecting weapons. And you can see the ones who hadn't earned their own weapons. There's a rack that everyone's able to select from as well. Nice. And so you can see that the woman who's kind of been standing diagonally behind you um, 
she is selected a few various blades that she's like tucking into the various straps of the very lean armor they've given you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Cool. So what would you like to select? Yeah, this looks like a perfect opportunity to pick a, um, a, I believe the technical term is a big fuck off dagger (laughs) (laughs) from, from the rack of weapons. I think that's fair. Curved with a nice swage back, double edged, at least nine inches long, 12 maybe. So, you are able to pull a knife to pair with your axe. Mm-hmm. Um, and you wait for them to assign out the pairs. And it looks like they're doing a good job, like, mixing it up. So, the kind of agile woman who'd been, like, hoarding most of the small knives um, is paired up with the larger man who seems like he really wants a gun in here. Right. <laughs> um, and, you know, everyone's kind of paired off. And then they put you with Alana. Oh, no. And... She kind of gives you a nod, and she says, whichever way it goes, whichever way it goes. I'll nod back to her, and I don't have a ready quip for someone I'm about to um, murder. So, I mean, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll nod back to her sagely, if possible. All right. So, the move you guys back into not really a cell, but kind of a holding room during the other fights. So you don't get to see how they play out. Um, But you can hear the other gladiators, the graduated gladiators kind of yell, both in approval and dismay and sometimes offering, you know, sideline advice (laughs) for the fighters. Um, And then each ends with a decision of some kind. Um, In one, like, there seems to be agreement that the final blow should be dealt. Um, In one of the fights, there is sort of a little bit of discussion, and it seems that both of them are allowed to move on. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it just kind of depends on how the fight goes, it seems. Um, But eventually, you both are led out into the arena under the stage um, Marcles presents you with one arm and bows um, slightly towards Lensel, the school owner. And he turns back to you and he says, This day it is determined who earns their brand. And you've trained well here, but we shall see how this ends. And the sand is spattered with blood and some sand has been kicked over areas to kind of let it clump up a little bit. Um, But you guys are separated to, you know, a a decent distance away from each other to start. And Vitor comes, he checks your armor, he checks your weapons, he verifies there's nothing strange going on, Does then walks across the arena, does the same for Alana. And... He raises an arm 
backwards linsel to show that he has checked you. And the school owner claps his hands loudly to signal that the fight has begun. Oh, wow. Okay. So during, during all of this uh, ceremony and stuff like that, um, during all of this ceremony that's going on, uh, Solto, I think, would crouch down and, and take a handful of the arena sand and feel its, its texture and, um, you know, is it fine? Is it rough? Is it regular? You know, is it not? Is it uniform sand or is it pebbles and chunks and dust and all? You know what I mean? That sort of thing to it's, get a feel for it. It's pretty fine. It's not a dust where you're like sinking into it really. Um, but it's fine enough that there aren't like big chunky pieces that could like cause you to trip up or something like that. Okay. And uh, we'll transfer that handful of sand to his other hand and sort of rub, you know, sand wash his hands with it as it falls down to the floor as like kind of a, you know, a chalk sort of thing before rock climbing or uh, weightlifting or other similar activity where grip is uh, an advantage. And also, you know, to contribute to the overall theme, much like Gladiator <laughs> would would do, right? Mm-hmm. And um, and then, you know, ready his weapons and stuff. So, sort of as a, as a mini retcon to before the clap happens. Like, right. He's not going to be doing this when... No. Chick face is charging at. Him. <laughs> You're fine. <laughs> like, okay. And uh, cuz that might come in handy just, you know, the whole uh, you know, pocket sand to the face kind of tactic could yeah. happen. So he's going to be on the lookout for that but also be aware that that's in his um offensive arsenal as well. Okay. But he claps his hands and the battle starts. Yeah. Okay, cool. Is there any kind of initiative or anything like that? Because if not, as soon as he, like, you know, does that, he's going to, like, sprint on the offensive immediately. Okay. If possible. If that's not how it goes. No, you're good. I mean, you are the main protagonist, which means you get to go first. Oh, nice. Okay. And so when Alana sees you kind of start to move forward. If she can see me. I mean, I'm moving pretty fast. You know, I'm almost like a blur. (laughs) So when Alana sees you move towards her, she begins to heft her weapon. And you see that she's not moving forward. And as you run, um, she yells, Good! Your legs are longer than mine. And she starts to bring the hammer up. What would you like to do? Um... I think I would like to um, go full on the offensive. That doesn't look like a very uh, nimble weapon, and she doesn't seem to have any other sort of thing that she can, you know, block or parry or defend with. So I'm going to try to um, take her down as quickly as possible, I guess. I mean, I was hoping that, uh, you know, I don't know. Her defense is up to her, you know. So we're going to, we're just going to go for, um, you know, 
as as much offense as possible. I don't know how um, detailed you want me to be in terms of description of his attack, or if it's just a if a general you know all out offense is appropriate. Well, I mean, I need a testable action. So I just need to know specifically what you're looking to do. And remember, you can do anything you want because we're not in one of the training scenarios now. So it's not like hit a panel, make a jump. Like you have some freedom in deciding how to engage. Okay. But just let me know specifically what you'd like to do. We'll see if it's successful. And then if you'd like to describe it or if you'd like me to, that's fine. All right. Um, so he's he's charged up to her, you know, with all the speed that he can muster. And when he gets to her, he'll he'll have readied the dagger, you know, uh, in one hand in this uh, kind of like an ice pick type of grip. And bringing that out like forward as, as sort of a, you know, a quick strike towards the face you know that's that's the misdirect as the axe comes around from the other end kind of aimed at the junction of the uh, neck and shoulder okay so go ahead and roll your attack my attack all right two okay so you are able to move more quickly than she can still I mean, as you run up, because you move so quickly, she's still basically bringing her hammer into position when you're able to to move in and, and bring your blades to bear. So one thing I'd like to note, if I may, you know, um, I don't, he's not necessarily going to go for killing blows off the bat, you know, like you got to try to strike true. You know what I mean? But you can try for, like, you know, wounds and cuts and stuff like that as, like, probing kind of attacks to see how their defense is. Because if you overcommit, you could find yourself in a bad way pretty quickly. So that that's the sort of thing that is uh, going on here. You know, jabs and feints and stuff as you feel out your opponent. So moving quickly as you do, you find yourself in range while Alana is still getting her hammer into position. And you are able to feint with one blade and then bring in your axe for a quick pulling swipe um, across her, really her upper shoulder, I guess I would say. Um, And there's a small like spray of blood and your blade now has blood upon it. And Alana kind of grins at you and brings the hammer up. All right. So she's tough. She just kind of took it. That's interesting. Okay. All right. And she brings the hammer down with an insane amount of force. Um, I'm going to have you go ahead and... Basically, I want you to roll to see if you can get out of the way, unless there's something else you want to do with this. Mm, not really. I mean, the the only thing that you kind of try to do with this hammer as it's like 
avalanching towards you is uh you could try to uh redirect where it goes to kind of put her off balance but uh for now i think just sort of you know sidestepping or otherwise you know dodging such a huge blow uh, makes the most sense okay we'll do a dodge that's on roll two cool all right so it's not pretty but you just leap out of the way of this giant mass of whatever dense material this is that's flying towards you so quickly and your less than beautiful leap is masked by the giant cloud of dust that's put up as this hammer just like hits the arena floor and it erupts with sand into the air Nice. And you can hear Alana just laughing the whole time. <laughs> and she just really uh, enjoys what uh, what she's doing. <laughs> All right. What would you like to do? So I can hear her laughing. Yes. So in the midst of this dust, I know um, where uh, where she is, right? Why don't you make... An on-roll roll. On-roll roll. To okay. see if you can get a good bead on her direction. Get a fix on her. All right. Three. Yep. You know exactly how far and in what direction she is from you. Excellent. So given that I have a target, um, that's a two-handed weapon. So if I can disable one of her arms, um, she won't be able to use it, I think. And that might precipitate... Uh, a situation wherein we have to decide, you know, whether she gets to live or die. Because I'm trying to be a better person. Killing is becoming a little too easy for me. So even if it costs me my life, I'm willing to see if there's any opportunity to show some mercy, even in life or death situations. Mm. So he's having trouble sleeping at night with just the faces of all of the, you know legions of dead that are you know stacked behind him in his past and it's the the idea that killing is just becoming too easy for him and he doesn't feel like that should define him so he's sort of exploring other ways to behave and it's manifesting at a very inopportune time it seems uh so that being said his general plan is if he can disable one of her arms then that will render her unable to continue this fight. But he doesn't want to do so in a permanent way by like, you know, lopping one off or like right. taking off a hand or something like that. Because then, of course, the guy is going to be like, oh, well, she's too damaged to be, you know, worth anything to me. So you're going to have to finish her, you know, and, and I don't want that result. I want the like, you know, she did good, you know, but, uh, you know, obviously you won. So. Um, is what he's hoping for. Right. So he's going to try to, you know, um, maybe cut one of her uh, arms, you know, deep enough that without immediate attention, she'll probably have some blood loss issues and also some, you know, immediately mobility issues, but nothing that doesn't seem irrecoverable. Okay. On this next hit in the the cloud of dust okay 
All right, so let me roll for that. Here we go. Two. Okay. So it's almost in slow motion as you, like, burst through the sand towards her. And you can see her eyes go wide, but that smile is fixed on her face. And the hammer's already coming back up. Um, but you are, let's see. Oh, yeah. And there's no way that she can move out of the way in time because she couldn't see you through the dust. Um, and so you, deeper than your first cut, the second one goes across the inside of her arm right above the elbow. It looks like of her dominant hand. Mm. And blood sprays through the dust and sprays across the sand as everything settles around you. And deftly, I mean, she grunts in pain, but you see her kind of shift weight to the other side. And she's holding up this giant piece of hammer with one arm, and it is not her dominant arm. And she is going to go ahead and make a little roll over here. She's got to show some heart. Yeah. Right. And not quite as fast as the last time, but still just as terrifying um, a prospect of being hit. The hammer comes down again. And I'll need you to try to dodge out of the way. All right. Here we go with an off uh, on-roll dodge. Ooh, four. Okay. No, that's good enough. So you um, you are able to kind of shift to the side. You have a feel for how this fight goes now. But she is already, and you can see, like, she's using her leg to help, like, heft everything up. And she's ready to bring it down again with her offhand. What would you like to do? Well, I don't want to take out her other uh, arm right now. That might be a little too much. So let's go for... Uh kind of a hamstringing maneuver now you know if i can see this is gonna be a little difficult because i have to dash into you know um her her offensive range you know Mm. and somehow bypass everything that she has going on with the defense and go for that uh that that hamstring this is where like you know the the style that he fights with comes in handy because he can, you know, dart in and uh, sort of, you know, almost in in a, a whirlwind of uh, of sharp metal, spin around and hook the uh, the knife blade, you know, like behind the knee and kind of pull it out in a savage hamstringing uh, cut. All right. So this will be difficult, but not impossible for you, as trained as you are. All right, here we go. He's going to be in kind of a bad spot if this doesn't work out, if she gets to counterattack, I think. Oh, one! Oh, wow. (laughs) Okay. She can barely see how quickly you're moving to make this happen. And she's so focused on kind of utilizing her body in a different way 
to move this hammer. So you're able to kind of get in under her attention. And she is able to like kick forward, but not far enough for you to miss her entirely. So you are able to kind of swipe across one of her legs. Okay. And maybe not so deep as to like have the the disabling desired effect, but right. still a still a wound. Yeah, <laughs> and she does kind of the shock of it forces her to take a knee, and then the hammer swings around instead of swinging down to try to catch you off guard. Okay. All right. But she's not moving as quickly as she was, so I will go ahead and give you a chance to dodge because her roll wasn't great. All right, three. Okay, no, that's... So you leap back, and she kind of begins to get to her feet. Um, but you have time to move. What would you like to do? Um... I feel like at this point, I mean, obviously she's not going to quit. And I think that if I don't take decisive action that, you know, she will. Okay. I have a couple of options. I can keep cutting her and wait for her to like pass out from blood loss, you know, but I don't know how her species works like that. Maybe they're really hardy and resistant to that sort of thing, and that's not a good plan, you know? Um, so I can go that route, death by a thousand cuts sort of thing, and continue to try to dodge out of the way of this hammer that could maybe squish me if I if I don't make it, you know, <laughs> one time. Uh, or I can try to, like, you know, dash in, flip up behind her, and end up in the whole, you know... Uh, knife to the throat, axe hooked over one wrist sort of thing, you know, in a like, you know, I've got you, like, don't move. Or, you know, I'm going to let out the all of the magic juice that keeps you alive at once and uh, kind of force uh, um, that victory there, but also end up in a position to be able to show mercy. Hmm. So uh, I would like to try to uh, attempt the the second option as okay. opposed to continuing this uh, death by a thousand cuts approach. Sure. All right. So here we go. Dash in low, flip over. Not as low because she's short. <laughs> and uh, try to hook her remaining good wrist with the under the beard of the axe and restrain it, you know, back behind her. And uh, have the uh, knife blade uh, at the at the throat. Oh, four. Oh, man. So as you're kind of leaping in, you see her eyes flick up towards you. And the, I mean, it's all blunt, but the blunt back end of the hammer just kind of shoots out towards you and like, oofs you back. <laughs> And you slide across the sand a few feet back from her. Nice. Can I at least recover on the landing and do that, like, you know, ninja slide in the sand where you kind of end up on, 
on all fours and slide back a little bit. Sure. Maybe a trickle of blood from your nose as you realize this is not going to be as easy as you may have thought. Yeah, I mean, she's uh, giving you some free orthodontics work. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but she gets to her feet um, as you're kind of recovering and just takes a wide swing that seems more to give her space than actually hit you. Um, but go ahead, it's your turn. All right. Let's uh let's dash in for another cut. Maybe okay. um this will slow her down a little bit so I can try my, you know, forced victory condition move again, you know, later. Okay. So we'll we'll go for a another attempted hamstring on the other leg this time. Two. Alright. So you go in and that roll. Your attack is pretty effective. She's already a bit winded. She's wounded as well. Um, and this slice, like, just... There's a spray of blood, and you see her kind of shake her head. Like, she's disappointed right now. Ah, not, not woozy, but disappointed. Yeah. Got it. All right. Yeah, once again, like, her swings are getting slower, and... Um, more forced and focused um but she's not able to be very effective at this point she has too many wounds that are kind of making the work difficult yeah okay so is that back to me then yeah okay so while she's you know making her her slow slower you know um swings as opposed to dash in and making an offensive move, I'll try to uh, sort of, uh, you know, dance in and um, after she swings, turn the uh, the counter strike into, again, tangle up the, uh, the hammer wielding wrist with the axe and the knife at the throat again to okay. force a victory condition. Sure. All right, here we go. Ah, four again. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> no, this time that's good enough, though. The difficulty is not as high as it was because she is taking quite a number of hits at this uh, point. A little, little woozy. Slow yeah. down a little bit. Okay, that makes sense. And so you get into the position you described, the one that you desired, and you can hear her like breathing really heavily. Um, and she kind of whispers to you because it's not for everyone else to hear. She says... Even this, this is like freedom, I guess. Oh, nice. Okay. I was kind of expecting her to be a little, a little batshit crazy. <laughs> do it. Do it, motherfucker. Do it. <laughs> Come on, do it. Do it, you pussy. She's not Rick. <laughs> <laughs> Give me your knife. I'll do it myself. <laughs> yeah. And um, she kind of closes her eyes and like studies her breathing so that she can stand for this you know oh yeah and uh looking up at lencil you see him looking down at you with his foppish little face and his big surrounding layer of chin and he kind of 
shakes his head as if to say, you know, do away with her. But then Markley stands in and he says, Sir, Lencel, Alana has much promise. She came from the School of the Eagle, and I think she'll earn her falcon brand yet. And Lencel seems uninterested in whatever decisions they make and kind of just waves his hand noncommittally. And um, Vitor comes in and kind of pulls her away from you. He nods to you to, like... To let her go. Yeah. I'll let her go. Before I do, I'll whisper back to her, you fought like a champion. You should not have to die like a dog. And she doesn't really respond, but there's kind of like a mix on her face of disappointment and relief at the same time. And as she's being pulled away, you can feel how sore you are, like where the hammer kind of knocked you back. You're, you're sure a couple of ribs are probably out of place Ooh. and your face feels a mess right now. Yeah. I'm afraid to spit out a big, you know, gob of blood and snot because there might be some of my little tiny feline chiclet teeth mixed in there. <laughs> and I'm quite fond of those. <laughs> so They would know. be hard to find in the sand. <laughs> right. But I feel like this setting is sci-fi enough that they can fix all that kind of stuff. And so, you know, not too worried about it, really. All right, so battered, tired, covered in blood and glory. You are led back into the damp tunnels you came from, and you can see they're carrying Alana away to the area that you associate in your mind with, like, medical assistance, but you're being directed a different way. Okay. I'd like some medical assistance too, please. (laughs) Maybe later. (laughs) And uh, Vittoria looks at you and he's like, Yes, uh, when we get you your brand, we'll also get you some medication. Hmm. All right. And so they take you into um, a small room where you are laser branded um, with the, the crest of the falcon. And they take a look and kind of press around the joints where your ribs connect like to your sternum and into your spine kind of pop some things back into place and give you, um, you know, what you recognize as being kind of the standard military dose of, like, basic anti-inflammatory medication. Hmm. All right. And Fitchor continues to, like, kind of gesture you to follow him down the tunnels. Okay. And he doesn't take you back to your cell. He takes a few turns that you are completely unfamiliar with in this place. You have never been brought down this way before. Uh Uh-huh. Okay. He pauses outside this massive iron door and kind of plants his feet and pushes it open. It's very heavy. And as soon as he does, there's like an explosion. Explosion of sound. And 
you can see inside there's just a crowd of people. Some of them are laughing. Um, there's the slamming of hands and tankards against wooden tables. And you can see the gladiators from the first parade are in here, as well as what looks like the others who made it through their matches this afternoon. And it's a small but well-lit sort of common room that today, being the test day, has been made into something of a tavern. Oh, nice. So they, everyone's seated around a couple of rows of roughly hewn tables and benches. And what seems like normally it would just be a place to relax, play some cards, have a drink maybe before turning in for the night. And as you come in, some of the gladiators who are watching your fight actually like raise tankards to cheer your victory. And there are roasted meat being passed around on platters and jugs of wine and not everyone is using a cup everyone just seems to be like really taking a load off right now so this is the common room reserved for gladiators and champions of the school um and kind of you're ushered in like vitor sort of like leaves you there and and goes back to his duties and a few of the veterans like kind of gesture for you to sit near them. They kind of bring plates over and glasses and things like that for you. And then he said, oh, great work out there. If you have any questions at all, uh, welcome to the School of the Falcon. Mm. Thank you. Sort of gingerly touch my laser engraving on my right deltoid as I look at where the fur is burned away and the skin is uh, etched with the uh, sigil of the falcon. And, and yeah, one of the kind of veterans looks over at you and he says, it's the first step to your five. Sort of nod at him as I continue to look at it. And the is it like obvious it's like there's bathrooms over there and then there's quarters over there like to have my own room like how do, how does where's all my i guess i don't have any stuff really other than what i'm carrying with me but you know you'd think i'd have a, a bed and a chest and a shelf and you know a step up from the slave prisoner fighter you know what i mean yeah so i don't know how that works yeah and so he kind of sees you looking around and everything and kind of the guy's taking you under his wing at this point um, sort of says ah, there's a main sort of bunk room although we have little areas that are our own um, no one will mess with your things as you collect them because you will get more if you're successful um, there is a mutual respect here this is honestly I've been in a few different fighting pits and arenas and Falcon treats us well. Because we don't fight each other. We fight other schools. Yes. And stuff like yes. that. Yes. Okay. Cool. Well, I'd like to uh, go to a bathroom, clean myself up before joining the party in a big bad way. Yeah. And so he kind of directs you where to go, but doesn't seem to like need to follow you or anything like that, which gives you a chance to look around. Okay. And... 
there is sort of like a, a washroom. It's um, definitely more than you had access to in your cell. Okay. Um, and there are mirrors mm-hmm. and, you know, there's clean running water and, and various facilities. So The two very things I need yes. to clean my wounds, rinse out my mouth, see if I'm missing any teeth and if my nose is crooked <laughs> or not. And, you know, just, just do a general assessment of, of that and see the extent of my wounds. Is there anything I need to worry about or can I go, you know, um, you know, try to maybe revel a little bit. Right. So it's obvious that had she hit you full on with like the, the broadside of the hammer, you, some of your bones would probably have been pulverized <laughs> um, and re- require a very extensive medical intervention to fix. Um, but as it is, like you can see the bruise already developing on your chest you can feel like some of your teeth feel loose, but in that way where you're like, you think it'll be okay. Like, it's just like that sort of everything's tender and inflamed and you need the swelling to come down a little bit. Um, but you think everything's looking okay. I'm a little beat up, I'm yeah. a little hurt, but I'm not damaged really. Right. There's no significant damage. Okay. Cool. Nothing seems broken. No teeth seem missing or cracked or anything like that. None of my slightly exaggerated canines are uh, chipped off or anything. No. Except for that one that already right. was. Okay. Cool. All right. Yeah. I think uh, I can confidently now cleaned up a little bit, a little groomed, you know, uh, can stride out into the common room and... Uh, Grab the nearest, um, I don't know, flagon of the beverage of my choice. Okay. So it looks like most of what's being passed around is the equivalent of some sort of imported wine and some sort of local beer. Okay. Yeah, I feel like, you know, Calusians tend to uh, favor um, a spicy... Uh, wine-like beverage that is uh, fermented from a local fruit that's similar to a grape but um, has um, also a chili pepper type of property that lends it its spiciness so if there's any kind of uh, if there's a hint of spice to the wine so much the better if not I mean it'll probably be close enough yeah so this one's definitely it's a decently strong wine and it won't have that kick of spice that you're used to, but it will definitely have kind of what we would consider like that tannin sort of effect to it. Okay. Um, so it definitely has a kick, but nothing like home. All right. Well, that will make me remember it uh, all the more fondly, I suppose. So you see a small dark-skinned man talking with a tall blonde, tanned gladiator. Um, And they seem to be discussing Markley's. And then to the other side of you, there is a man with short, cropped brown hair who's kind of quiet and nodding as an kind of lively, long-haired, lithe man is talking to him about Lencel, the owner of the school. 
Okay. I think I'll, uh... I'm not very social, but if I can join the the conversation more in a listening kind of role, uh, I'd like to, to try to do that. Sort of uh, sidle up and, you know, make eye contact with each speaker and nod appropriately. And if... If they fall silent, like, hey, this is a private conversation, fuck off, then, you know, do so. But if if they seem welcoming, then, you know, hang around. Is there a pair in particular that you are looking to listen into first, or? Let's hear about Lancel first. Okay. The school's owner. All right. So kind of stepping up next to the the quiet man who's nodding as the other talks to him. Um, They both acknowledge you and don't seem to change course. It seems like everyone's very free with each other here because they're all gladiators. They're all people of the the pit. Yeah, it's like if you have the brand, you're in. Yeah. And uh, you can hear him and he's like, you know, Lenzel, you know, the owner of the school. Uh, He's such a greedy one, mostly concerned with filling his pockets. Rumor has it that he and Markley's fight all the time, just like they did over that short one today. Lancel just, all he wants is money. He doesn't care if we live or die out here. I mean, I think the only one in his family who gives any care if we live or die at all is Madeline. I mean, his daughter is a whole different kind of person. Hmm. Madeline. I wonder if she has any sort of sway or pull over, you know, influence over Lancel. <laughs> Interesting. Did you say that? No, he's thinking. Okay. Thinking about this. Mm. Yeah. And, uh, and then the man who's talking says, What say you, Tivars? And the quiet man nods and he says, Truly his daughter is a beauty and the kindest one you'll find here. Um, if it was up to her, the school would probably be closed. Hmm. All right. And he, the man who was talking a lot, like, kind of looks over towards you. And he's like, has she ever been to, uh, to, to heal you? Looks over to me? Yeah. Hmm. No, I've not had the pleasure of meeting, uh, Lensel's daughter, Madeline, did you say? Madeline. Hmm. Yes, oh, you'd know her. A true beauty. Tall, red-haired, elegant. And she comes here often in secret to take care of us when we're wounded. I figured she did the same for the trainees. Not as such, no. Uh, I believe we uh, must make do with more meager fare. The last person to heal me had one eye and three times as many legs. (laughs) <laughs> oh, yeah, Octavius. He's a good one. But, uh, no, she, she'll she come in and check on us, and it doesn't matter if you have a small wound or you're on death's door. Even if it would hurt her father more to let one of us die, she just can't bear it. She'll, she'll help us no matter what the issue is. I've seen her bring men back from death's door. Good to know. A door I hope to never see until I am ripe of old age. Well, uh, I think I'll bid these gentlemen good evening and move over to the other group. 
see what I can find out about uh, Markley's. And so they kind of nod to you when you approach, like, ah, uh, you're the one of the new ones. Uh, what's your name, friend? Well, mad friend, I'm Salto Ninsamos. Ah, we got to get you a title, but maybe it'll take you to your first fight for that to happen. Ah, uh, yes, titles, I believe. Should be earned and not bestowed, wouldn't you say? Well, I'm Conrigan, the scarred, and he, like, points to his many slashes and cuts that have healed well. It'd be great if you had, like, a little teeny tiny one that you yeah. could barely see. <laughs> like, that'd be hilarious. And this one, and he points up to basically like He-Man next to him. <laughs> basically He-Man? <laughs> that's Demeter, the mighty. <laughs> that whole thing is Demeter, the mighty, eh? <laughs> but we were just talking about Maracles. I'm sure you're quite familiar with him. I mean, he was uh, our handler, basically, right? Yes, the training, so. slave master, for lack of any nicer term for it. Yeah, okay. He comes across as harsh, but he does anything he can to make sure as many of us survive as possible. You know, he was a legendary gladiator in his own right. He earned his freedom. He was an arena hero. When he retired, he was hired on by Lensel to train the new fighters. As splendid as all of this is... I'll say, gesturing to the, the room at large with my free hand. Why do you think one would choose to stay if they were free to go? Perhaps return home or seek a grander fortune? It takes five fights to earn your freedom if you survive that long. And for some, the time is such that there is nothing to go back to. Or the place you were taken from was destroyed utterly as part of the wars. You know, I've heard. I mean, it's just rumors, so take what you want. But there's some who think that even within the walls of the arena, there are some connected to the resistance. You know, the ones fighting to overturn Emperor Turg. All I can say is be loyal to the Falcon, fight with honor, bear the mark with pride, and maybe you'll earn your freedom. And you can do what you want with it. Some just have nothing left but fighting. Hmm. I see. Very wise. Who is the current champion among us? We're right in the middle of sort of rounds of fighting. All of us have won at least one bout at this point. Um, our next fight after the rest is against the school of the eagle on uh, the one your friend came from hmm. school of the eagle you say Alana was from another school yet she ended up here are there trades that happen sometimes uh, particularly when they're still in training or they only have a few fights under their belt sometimes trades and sales can occur hmm you see well that is very interesting. Maybe my stomach would rumble hungrily at this point, and I might move on, bidding them good evening to see if there's uh, upgraded food as part of the upgraded amenities. 
Yep, so the food here is very high in protein. That seems to be the focus. Very high in protein. Protein. <laughs> um, you know, there's, I mean, and you can't really identify the beasts that they come from, but they are whole and roasted for the most part, although there are various other things as well, some vegetation um, and some other sort of what looks like ground down, more like paste-like sides and things like that. Hummus. <laughs> Similar. <laughs> and uh, and everyone seems to be like kind of going for everything. There doesn't seem to be any suspicion about the food. It feels like this is... There's like a feast and rest before the next potential for loss of life. And they take that very seriously. All right. Almost dead yesterday. Maybe dead tomorrow. But alive. Gloriously alive tonight. <laughs> nice. So moving through the room, you see a lot of other gladiators in here. There's a good probably dozen or so that are gladiators or veterans of the school proper um and you can see they're mostly men but there are a few women here as well who carry the same scars of battles one and um you can see that a few of them are talking a little conspiratorially in one of the corners over their cups mm. okay uh, let's uh it's difficult to uh, conspire with conspirators as a stranger, you know? So um, I feel like maybe I'm going to have to try to eavesdrop instead. All right. Um, would that be on roll or off roll for you? That would definitely be on roll, given that his whole uh, jam in his career is to sneak around and skulk around and pounce from the shadows. Yeah, you're and an infiltrator. He's an yeah. infiltrator and insurgency specialist, so uh, it would definitely be on roll. Yeah. No question. And the, the crowd and the sort of party-like atmosphere makes it easy to move around this room without being very suspicious as well. So it won't be too difficult, but go ahead and make your roll just to see. Let's see what happens. Ooh. Five. Okay. It wasn't a six, which is, you did not want that six. Didn't want the six. All right. So you kind of move towards the table and you can hear, it seems they're talking about the emperor, Turg, the emperor, or Turg the foreigner, as some people call him. And they're specifically talking about apparently his son. I've heard he just pays his debts by killing whoever he owes the coin to. Uh, and that gladiator kind of spits to the side of the table before continuing, because that's not honorable. And uh, an arrogant bastard enjoys seeing others suffer from what I've heard. And um, a very, like, tall, strong-looking woman with, like, striking red eyes um, says, I heard he once had a lesser noble beheaded just because he didn't take off his hat when he greeted him. All of his servants live in fear. They're tortured and murdered for the smallest of slights. It's Traxu. Who does he think he is anyway? Hmm. Okay. You know, I, I don't know, like I said, horning my way into a conversation like that uh, 
would would have you know baked in issues because you know if, if you're if you're muttering conspiratorially with your friends if a stranger approaches you change the subject clam up that sort of thing so i don't know that i'm going to necessarily try to break in on that party but yep. i will file away that information okay. so yeah and so this goes on for quite a bit and then the original gladiator who kind of took you under his wing kind of like claps you on the shoulder he's like ah solto there you are my friend let's uh let me show you to the bunk area let's get you settled all right it has been a few wines at this point and uh my wounds are definitely taking their toll probably best to get some rest all right so you are able to kind of get sorted you see that there are clean sets of you see that there are clean sets of clothes some new armor befitting your station as a gladiator and um, places to safely store and maintain your weapons and things like that. Um, And he looks at you and he says, we have a a few days still time to rest and recuperate before the next fights in the rectangular arena. Hmm. The rectangular arena. Yes. We'll be up against the champions of the school of the Eagle. Hmm. I see. Uh, we'll get to uh, test our mettle against Alana's former compatriots. Yeah, I've heard Lensel arrange this because he wanted to test the the mettle of the new ones that were indoctrinated. Barely time for you guys to heal. Some of your fellows were injured much more grievously than you. Mm. Well, if there's a group melee, perhaps I can carry us to victory. All right, and that's where we'll go ahead and pause for now. And we'll pick up next time with your fight against the champions of the School of the Eagle. Mm, The School of the Eagle. We're coming for you. So once again, we wanted to thank Blackwind RPG um, for letting us check this game out. We know we're still figuring out some of the details, but so far we're having a lot of fun getting into the story and like figuring out who this character is. So it seems pretty cool for that. I like the combination of the freedom um, to explore and the guidance provided by the module. And it seems really well written, you know, if, um, you know, the, the things you're reading are from the module and not of your own design. Either way, very well written. All right. So everyone, we hope you come back to see if, Soltel will survive in the next encounter. Until then, spend your rage wisely. Yeah, you don't want to overextend and get hamstrung. <laughs>